Thank you for those of you who are joining us online this morning. Uh, this is for you as well. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit is bound by, you know, you just being in this room, uh, but he is there where you're at. And uh, so this message is for you also. Um, but I, I just can't help but uh, wonder this morning if the same old thing, uh, the same old things that you've been asking God to change in your life, that, that maybe he's done his part and now it's time for us to change our mind about them. Because some of it sits on us, some of it, and, 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 I'll, and I'll talk about what our responsibility is. But uh, maybe for some of you, we need to look back on 2020 and really wrestle with what we're going to keep from this year. And, uh, and there are some keepers as I look back. Um, and then what we're going to have to just let go. What we're going to have to just let go. Um, because uh, we certainly uh, had to keep our eyes on Jesus this year. And that's, that's just some, that's all we have. I don't know if you know that, but that's all you have is to keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, you, it's kind of like with, um, you know, this idea of Jesus walking on water and the wind and the waves are crashing into the boat. But man, if you got your anchor dropped firmly into the bedrock that is Jesus, your boat can rock all it wants to. And external circumstances, wind and waves and all that can come crashing. But as long as you're anchored, you know you're not going to go anywhere. And I know, I know quite a few people right now who are facing some really hard situations, uh, externally, internally, but they are people. I just, I, they're just amazing to me. They've got their anchor dropped, and I just sit and I just watch them. I just watch them uh, at how they trust Jesus through this, this time. But uh, if you've lived long enough, uh, you know there are just certain things about this life um, that we're, we're all going to run into challenges and struggles and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and, we, and we, we're going to face challenges at some point, and we need to deal with those things because there will always be things like that that we don't have the power to control or to fix. And so uh, there's something that came up for me over the last few years, and I finally looked at it. My wife and I prayed about it, and we said, we're going to change our mind about this. We're actually going to, Lord, if it's you, we're going to do it. And so we really believe it's the Lord. And it's too late now. We've already done it. But I actually went back to school. Uh, I'm working on my master's um, in marriage and family therapy. I love it. I love it. I just finished my first term. Uh, it's, it's weird being a 36-year-old man on Christmas break. Uh, I said, Scott, let me preach for you or something. I'm just sitting around the house, um, and my kids are doing online school and all that kind of stuff. I said, let me do something. And so, um, so and I, t I totally believe it's God. Um, I got straight A's. Listen, that's not to brag. That's just to tell you that God is still doing miracles, okay? I didn't even get straight A's in kindergarten. How hard is it to, you know, count macaroni and uh, learn a few simple words? Obviously, it's pretty hard. There were some questions whether I would even graduate high school. Am I oversharing a little too bit this morning? <laughs> um, but that's a story for another time. Uh, but I would say... Uh, that's why, uh, you know, you haven't seen me. I, I would say that's why you haven't seen me in church too much lately. But in 2020, nobody's been at church as often. <laughs> so, uh, but I, honestly, I just want to talk to you this morning about uh, those things that keep uh, up, coming up for you in your life. Those things that keep coming to the surface uh, that, you, that you're not sure how to move past. And, uh, and maybe you've just learned to live with them. And that's an awful thing when it comes to shame and bitterness and fear and things like that. The biggies in life that go underground and live for a really long time within us. Um, to just learn to live with them is not what God desires for any of us. And so um, how, do we, how do we move past those things? How do we deal with those things? 
So that's my, that's my true desire for you this morning is that we would move into, and my true desire for myself and my family is that we would move into true freedom this year. But in order to do that, we're going to have to change our mind about some things. Uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to let go of some things that we've been holding on to and that are whole, and, and, and as a result are holding us back and, and stopping us from moving forward. Uh, in other words, uh, we're going to have to keep our eyes not on the past, but moving forward. Like, like Paul says, he says, I forget what lies behind and I press on to what lies ahead so that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his spirit. There was something beautiful Paul saw about the suffering of Christ and, and the things he, would, he, would, he knew he would go through. Some of us have been through some awful things in this world, awful things. And it would be one thing to say, I learned from it and it was great. And I'm so glad that's done. And now it's a ministry I have in my life where I can talk to people and I can say, you're here now and it's, it's really awful. But let me tell you, I'm five years down the road. I'm 10 years down the road. We're 20 years down the road and it gets better. Keep walking, keep walking, keep trusting Jesus. Um, there's, just, there's just something about it. Uh, but also uh, just being acquainted with, with Jesus' resurrection and to, and to know... But, I'm not under the, I'm not under the uh, assumption that I'm done suffering in this life. And I've lived a lot in 36 years. <laughs> a lot of crazy stuff, and I'm sure you have too. And, um, but there's something beautiful about suffering. But boy, when you're walking through it, there's, it doesn't feel beautiful. Uh, but until we learn to die to some things, uh, he says the, the, the power of his resurrection, well, some things have to die in order to be resurrected. And uh, to die to some things uh, that we'll, if we don't, we'll never experience new life in certain areas uh, of our life and we'll never experience that freedom. So there are some things that are super important for us to die to. And until we learn to die to some things in our marriage um, that are unhealthy, sometimes that are holding, maybe sometimes that's holding a, a keeping a record of wrong. Sometimes that's bitterness. Sometimes that's hurt and anger. Uh, you will never learn to, to have life in, in that part of your marriage or in your marriage as a whole. Uh, not that your hurt and anger, like I said, weren't warranted 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, but it's been a while now. And maybe what was so true then, it just isn't true anymore, but yet we live as though it's so true still today. And so how do we begin to pull those things out by the root and let them go? Because we're not meant to hold on to those things. We're, not, we're meant to truly forgive that we might experience new life in our relationships and in our souls. But I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> uh, one, of the, one of the things that we're going to look at today um, that I think holds us, sorry, I keep messing with that, uh, that, that messes with us and that, and that stays hidden for a long time, and sometimes we don't even know we have it anymore, is shame. Uh, I talked about this four years ago, and I think it's super important because the day was it? I preached it on Sunday. Monday morning, a gal showed up in my office, 75 years old, and she said, Chad, I've never looked at it like that before. She says, I've been carrying stuff since, I was, since this thing happened to me when I was 12 years old, and I've never quite let go of it. So I think preaching on shame and, what God, and God's plan to remove shame from our lives is, is, is crucial and so important. Uh, so don't raise your hand, whether you're at home or whether you're here. Uh, but would you say that you've ever experienced or still experience like shame in your life? Don't raise your hand. Have you, if you if were really honest with yourself, you know, those things that are, I, I kind of refer to them as shadows uh, that kind of lurk in corners because you don't really see them. They're not conscious all the time. Uh, but when something comes up and it triggers you, you go, I still feel shame about that. I still feel it, it's, it's still there. Uh, 
Pete Scazzaro uh, wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality years ago, and he describes these shadows as an accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts, that while largely unconscious, wrongly influence and shape our behavior. Uh, another way of saying it is it's the damaged but mostly hidden part of who you are. We, are all, we all have things, right, uh, in our history, whether it's addictions, bitterness, anger, frustration, all kinds of things that lurk in the background uh, and, and that keep us from wanting to move forward, and nobody else can even see them. Because most of us, when we came in the room, we looked pretty well-adjusted, right? We were all pretty good-looking people and uh, pretty humble people, <laughs> but uh, pretty, pretty good, like pretty, pretty well-adjusted, pretty normal, pretty shame-free and yet, there's those things that lay beneath the surface and they're powerful. And shame is one of the most damaging and powerful things we face. In fact, I would say that shame is even more powerful than sin in its long-term effects. Don't go too crazy with me yet. Because I, I, I do think there's, yes, sin is powerful, but sin has been dealt with, right? Our sin, it has been dealt with, but because sin can be so quickly forgiven, because the, the Lord has given us such a, a, a gift in that area. But shame, on the other hand, is really hard to deal with when it goes, under, when it goes underground. Uh, so let's talk real quick about the difference between guilt and shame. And maybe you've heard this, but guilt, right? It, it says, it, it reminds you of the things that you've done or, or, or what you do. Uh, shame attaches itself to who you are. Uh, guilt says you failed. Shame says you're a failure. This is really wild. The definition of the word um, shame is actually disgrace. It means to remove grace. You hear how awful that is? Jesus comes and he dies for us. He, he takes away your sin, your shame, all those, you, your sin, your, your guilt, you know, all these things. And uh, he dies for us. He, 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 he brings grace to cover our sins, our failures, our insecurities, our bitterness. And then shame comes and wants to peel all that back and expose us as ugly as it, as it goes back before the cross, before we were redeemed, before we experienced life for the first time. That's what shame does. And sometimes we can be a part of that, right? When, when, when every time we you know, hear a scandal on the news or we hear of gossip in the church or gossip in our family or, or whatever, and we, we just have this way of uncovering people sometimes um, that is just so unhealthy. But yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe we do it because it, it helps us to feel better about our own shame. I don't know. But I think there's a lot of areas that cause us shame. Uh, and I want to look at three, three categories, I guess, this morning that I feel I run into most when I talk to people. And uh, that, I, that I experience, I guess, in my own life. Uh, three main categories where shame gathers and hides in our lives. And I understand this isn't, you know, a happy talk. Especially right after Christmas, gosh darn it, Chad. You could have let us string it out a little bit longer. But I think it's so important as we turn this year that you don't walk into next year with some, with some things you've been carrying for a while. And so I want you to be truly free this year. And uh, so anyway, so we're going to talk about it anyway and see if we can identify some of these things and how we can get past them. Number one, don't be ashamed of your mistakes, your failures, and your sin. Some people, maybe you've heard say, I don't, I don't regret anything I've ever done because everything I've ever done has made me the person I am today, right? I think that's really dumb. 
I, I think that's, I think it's really dumb in order to say that because if I don't feel the sting and the, the sin of my problems, um, I'm never going to change. You know what I'm saying? If I don't feel like, yeah, I get, I get the idea of it, and it's a cute little saying, uh, and it's empowering, but anybody who doesn't care or continually hurts other people and has no regard for them is kind of a sociopath. And so I, I, I want to be, I want to be, I want to have a soft heart before the Lord, and I want to, I want to learn from my mistakes, and I want to feel the sting of my sin and my problems. Uh, otherwise, I just don't think we'll ever change the way we are, and we'll be that person who never gets invited to parties and doesn't know why. Uh, why, babe? I saw it on Facebook, but they didn't call us. Well, Chad. What, you're going to blame this on me? Uh, so how does this work? In Psalms, I love this. David says, I confess my guilt. I am troubled by my sin. He says, that word troubled means I'm anxious. My stomach's in knots because I know that thing I just did wasn't right. And uh, it's that kind of feeling. And it sounds a lot like shame at first, doesn't it? But at first, it's really not. Guilt, it's guilt at first. The sting of sin is first guilt. And it's really a gift to us at first. What's beautiful about it is guilt will push us into Jesus if we'll let it, right? It's like a kid who knew they did something wrong immediately, doesn't come to their parents, and then what do they feel when it's been hiding for a few days? Then you feel shame. But it, when, when you deal with it right away, it's great. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, King David says uh, a little bit more in 32, Psalm 32, 5. He says, I confess my sins, to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. It's done, right? As soon as I ask forgiveness, God forgives me. It's that simple. Let me give you some more scriptures. Hebrew 8:12 says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You say, God, remember when I did that? He goes, what? I don't remember. We have a really big, we have a really hard time with that. I've talked with people this week and last week. We have a hard time with that. Uh, also, Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You think how far is the east is from the, east is from the west? It's a long ways. <laughs> how far? I don't know. It's as far as he's removed my sins from me. I'll take it. 1 John 1, 9. When, I conf when we confess our sins, he is good and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. So what do we do? So those are great scriptures. But what do we do when we've been forgiven, but yet we still feel shame after that? Right? You ever feel that? You ever been forgiven? You, you kind of know you're forgiven, but yet there's that shame that still is there. What next? Because I know a bunch of people who have lived most of their lives completely forgiven, but still desperately ashamed. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. This is theoretical, but I think you could even take regret and put shame in there. Uh, regret is just regretting something that you've done, but shame is, I think they can, but I'm gonna tell you that's not God, that's Chad. <laughs> for godly grief produces repentance, right, in our hearts that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So what is the missing piece if I still feel shame over something that I've been forgiven for? Repentance. 
is what the word says. And, and this will help you, you grasp this. Repentance in the Greek is the word metanoia, which it doesn't mean, right? We all had youth ministries. It, it doesn't mean that you just turn around and go the other way. You know, you don't just tell an addict to stop using. Stop, do something else. And they're like, okay, I'm all better now, thanks. <laughs> um, it, it, right, we all had youth ministries for years. Every church had a youth ministry called the 180 or turnaround or whatever. And uh, it, it's not that. It really means to change your thinking. Repentance means to change your thinking. Uh, to change your thinking about whatever that thing is. Matter of fact, now I've learned that there are, um, that there are pathways. When we do things over and over, we hide things over and over. We, we create neural pathways in our brains and it, we just forge a path there. And we all know from snowy roads that once there's the rut there, where do your tires go? Right back to the rut. So another way of doing it, and God gives us a gift in this, is that we can forge a new path. And the more we do that, that becomes our new, that becomes our new thing. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, uh, the problem about changing your thinking, and you know this, is it's more like turning a barge around rather than a jet boat. It takes a while, and you've got to have a strategy for turning it if you're going to get rid of shame. Because one shameful moment has a way of redefining who you are. And what you do uh, when, you, when you can't, I mean, what do you do when you can't go back and rewrite the past? The thing we have to remember is if Jesus forgives me, that person forgives me or I've asked them for forgiveness, then, then what we need to do is make a change and it's got to be a change in our thinking. Uh, it's not going to come overnight and often uh, we've already replayed that shameful moment over and over uh, in our lives. And um, so anyway, uh, so we, we need to build a statement, I think. A statement that can be shot into shame every time that shameful thing comes back to us. Uh, a, a statement of truth that we can... Uh, launch out, right? We got to be offensive, not defensive all the time when it comes, or we do need to be that way when it comes to shame. And uh, something as simple as I did the best I could. Even if I failed, uh, I'm forgiven. God doesn't remember that thing anymore and I get to go free. Uh, or I must have failed, or you know, I may have failed, but that doesn't get to define who I am anymore. Uh, we have to believe that God through Jesus Christ smuggled grace into humanity and blew up shame from the inside out. We have to believe that. That's what he did, right? So the Christmas story is about sort of. <laughs> that's the first part of it. But that's what was happening. Uh, people who were desperately alone and oppressed cried out to God that he would send a savior and he did. He smuggled grace into humanity and he blew up a lot of things from the inside out. Um, great. Number two, don't be ashamed of your history. I love this story. In 2 Samuel 4 uh, is the story of the friendship of Jonathan and King David. Do you remember? And Jonathan's dad was Saul, right? Enemy with, with King David. And, and they go to war with each other, David and Saul. And Saul is killed. His son Jonathan is killed, David's best friend. And, uh, and, and when years later, after all that happened, uh, when David's sitting on his throne, he says, you know what? I really want to just honor somebody from the line of, uh, for, of Jonathan. Uh, is there anybody left, he asks. And one of his servants says, yeah, there is one guy left. And he has an amazing backstory. One more son of Jonathan. And here's his backstory in uh, 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was, had, who was crippled in his feet. 
he was five years old when, he, when the news of Saul and Jonathan came uh, from Jezreel, and his nurse, or his nanny, took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. If you're watching this online, and, you're thinking, and you guys are having a, uh, a late winter baby, or an uh, early spring baby, this is a great name right here. Mephibosheth. Uh, what an interesting story. Wh what is so interesting about this story? This isn't rhetorical this morning. You can actually talk to me. <laughs> What's so interesting about this story? There is no wrong answer. Well, all right. I think it's super interesting that this kid is five years old. I don't know how you would drop a five-year-old unless you're 27 feet tall that you would drop him and render him crippled in both feet. That sounds like a little bit of a disproportionate consequence to me. <laughs> I, think, I think this is a disproportionate consequence. Something big happened there out of something quite small. And uh, a dramatic event happened, and even now, excuse me, even, even now after years later, that kid is still crippled. And I think that's what happens in our story too. I think something that no one can even see anymore has been left undealt with left untreated, and it begins to define uh, us, and we don't even know that we're crippled anymore, but we are. Uh, we've redefined ourselves by our history, and none of this history was even Mephibosheth's fault, right? It wasn't even his fault. He didn't ask to be, you know, for the kingdoms to go to war, or, 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 or David, to, uh, all that to happen, and, and he didn't ask for, uh, you know, there to be a war he didn't ask for their you know his nanny to drop him he didn't ask for all those different things for any of that he was just dealing with what he was with what was dealt to him uh so how does he deal with it well we see it here david calls mephibosheth in to talk to him and and of course he's afraid david says don't be afraid because he probably is he probably thinks he's being singled out as the last living member of jonathan of saul's line uh so that they could kill him too and in second samuel 9 6 it says, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, not because he was crippled in both feet, uh, but because he was paying homage uh, to David. Uh, and David said, uh, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of, your, uh, of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always." That's pretty powerful. David just gave back to Mephibosheth everything he lost. Uh, he restored everything that he had lost. His land, his legacy. He offers him the rights of sonship. When he says, you can sit at my table, he offers, he, it's ultimately saying, essentially saying, your place is in this family now. You always have a place at this table. And what is Mephibosheth's response? 2 Samuel 9, 8 what is your servant that you should regard uh, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Uh, that doesn't mean a lot in American culture, but that means a lot in Jewish culture. There's nothing you could be wor worse you could be than a dog. Mephibosheth's situation didn't just change the way he walks; he allowed it to change the way he sees himself, uh, the way he defines himself, and even when the king stands in front of him. Uh, and offers to restore everything he's lost, he can only see himself as broken. And that is so often me, and that might so often be you. Something in our history defines, uh, or, or, or something in our history uh, that determines 
uh, how, how I think that, that labels um, that we slap on ourselves, uh, some have to do with our abilities, our marital statuses, uh, all the labels that we wear that isolate us and make us ashamed of who we are or what we've done. And being ashamed or being isolated in your shame is what will keep you there. People who are isolated in the shame rarely get out of their shame. Um, uh, in this community of faith, we, you know, we come and we, we worship uh, the same God who died to give us grace. So, um, and so I, I really, in my life, and I hope for, for you too, we want to be a, a community that gives honor instead of takes it away. Um, this is the best example I know to give, even though it's a controversial one in the church. Uh, abortion is one of those things that is just so controversial, but yet I think it's, it's so important to talk about when it comes to this. Um, those who had an abortion um, at any point, right, still deal with the shame and the, the, just the over enormous amount of shame. Uh, people I've talked to, women I've talked to who have had one 15, 20 years, still feel, uh, still are wrestling with the shame of it. So are we going to add to that person's shame when they come to us broken? Or are we going to be a part of their restoration? How many times have you heard preachers from Christian platforms uh, defend the life of the unborn, which is the right thing to do, by the way, but all the while killing the life of the mother who had the abortion? Uh, we have to find a way to stand for the things of Jesus, uh, stand for the things that Jesus loves, all the while embracing others, others in the challenges of life. Uh, it's not an either or, it is a both and. And so we want to be a community that restores honor rather than taking it away. When you came in this room, right, we, we often live in a world of comparison and you could possibly think that some people in this room have it better than you do. It's just not true. Well, it might be a little bit true, <laughs> but, it's not, <laughs> but it's not that true. And, um, and that everybody else's life looks awesome, but please know that it's not. Uh, also know that we want to give respect and honor uh, we each deserve because Jesus paid for it. And because uh, this is who we want to be. We don't want to be a shame-based culture because shame never works for change, and it never has. Shame has never worked for change. Uh, shame is cruel and is, ever, and is, ever, and is everywhere, and, and it can grow in a community so fast. It can grow in a, a marriage so fast, kind of like what I started with talking. I've done a lot of marriage, uh, pastoral marriage, marriage counseling in the last, last few years. And uh, shame can grow in a marriage so fast that it would make your head spin. Uh, while your spouse is trying to forgive themselves for the thing that they have done to you, or whatever the case is, uh, or, or, or maybe it's not you, but in, in a marriage, you know, something they've done, it is not helpful or Christ-like to continue to remind them of their shame. In fact, it will destroy marriages. It will. It's, uh, shame is like an acid, and if you try to hold on to it, it's going to burn through everything. Shame, uh, our relationships were never meant to hold on to shame. It eats away and it erodes at things. Uh, that's why you can carry it for a little while with seemingly no effect, uh, but it will, it will eat to the surface uh, eventually. Unforgiving spouses allow shame to eat away and eventually kill a marriage, even though they don't, they don't even know that's what they're doing. They're just hurt, right? So I would say, like if you said, Chad, but listen, I'm hurt. I've been hurt. I don't want a divorce. I don't want you know, this marriage to end. I don't want whatever. I've been hurt. Come talk to me. We'll, we'll talk about a way for you to get free. 
in your marriage, not to, care, not to continue to hold shame over somebody else and not continue to let shame uh, in your marriage. Uh, but making your partner continue to feel the sting of their sin by reminding them of it has never worked for change, not lasting real change anyway. Uh, so often, we can only see marriage for what it is instead of what it can be. And God is in the business of redeeming and restoring broken marriages. And I've been doing this for about 12 years and I've seen that. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about a personal story here in a minute where I haven't seen that. But the, the thing is, it's not magic, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. It's a process. Anything with God is usually a process. We want it to change overnight. We want him to just remove this from me, fix this thing or whatever. But as we trust him and do it his way, it's a process. He actually does do those things and he gives us more than what we came for, actually. Uh, we can be ashamed of so many things in our history um, uh, for so many reasons. Uh, maybe you didn't you know, grow up with much as far as wealth or heritage or, or, or that sort of thing. Or maybe you didn't have the same beautiful face as other 16-year-old girls. Or you didn't, you weren't, you didn't have muscles. Or like me, obviously. Uh, don't be jealous. Uh, but maybe uh, you didn't invite friends over to your house because of the stories that lived within the walls of your house and you never really wanted anybody to find out about what was going on at home. Uh, there are all kinds of reasons, and many of those things aren't even your fault. Uh, but they live on when you don't deal with the shame of your past. Uh, we have to be willing to deal with it. Otherwise, it will hold you back from being all that God has created you to be. Uh, don't be ashamed of your sorrow is number three. Uh, I really get having a life that looks good to other people. I really get it. And every once in a while, I still feel tempted to fall into the trap of, of making sure I look real good on the outside, even when my life's falling apart on the inside. Uh, I know we all want good lives, and it's so easy to be embarrassed about our sorrow, the things we've lost, the shame we feel, uh, the dreams that have died. And I never saw it coming. And I've never shared this story before, but I'm going to do it this morning, and I think I can do it in a way that you will just draw from it what you will. <laughs> Six years ago, um, when I went through my own divorce, uh, it was rough, right? Like anybody, uh, statistics say half or more than half of people have walked through it. So I know I'm not alone, but I walked through it in front of this church, right there in that chair. It was, it, the shame of it was almost too much for old Chad, almost too much. And, uh, and when you're a pastor leading people, when your life is clearly falling apart, and uh, it, it's, it's really rough. But, because I, I, had a, I had something to maintain, right? And then all of a sudden it was falling apart behind the scenes. I was like, oh, I'm such a fraud. That was the shame of it. That's what, I, that's what I started to believe. And I remember asking the Lord, not long after it all fell apart, what I was supposed to do with it all. When you've ever been through a situation like that, you just go, what am I supposed to do with all of this? What am I supposed to do, Lord, when it comes to her? And I remember so clearly the Lord meeting me in my, in my room when I was talking to him about it that one particular time. He goes, can you, just, can you just love her? Can you just love her? And I thought, in all my shame and bitterness and everything that I was feeling at the time, right? If you've been there, you, you know what it feels like. He's asking me if I can just love her. And I said, Lord, if you'll show me how, I certainly can. I certainly try. And although I didn't know how it would all play out, I was committed to do exactly what the Lord asked me to do. 
And it certainly wasn't perfect because we certainly know how to push each other's buttons and to trigger one another, right? <laughs> In relationships. And uh, especially when you're walking through something like that. But when she would say something that would trigger me, I would remember love her most of the time. I remember love her and then I'd have to act on that and just love her. And over time, the Lord actually began to heal our relationship. Quickly, actually. Uh, don't get me wrong, we never remarried. Uh, but over time, the Lord, the Lord healed our relationship and he actually removed shame and bitterness from me. Quickly. So you can heal from the hurt of an initial breakup, but shame and bitterness go underground for years to come, or can. Um, and, and if anger is never dealt with uh, and forgiven, it, it becomes bitterness. And, and the Lord not only removed that shame and bitterness from me, but he showed me that he did it. You know, sometimes the Lord does something and then you don't find out till years later, oh yeah, I guess that's, but he really showed me that he did it. I was on the phone one day with a friend and, and before I got off the line, they said, hey, before I let you go, I just want you to know, I am so amazed at how you and your ex-wife do your relationship and how well you get along and how well you raise your kids together. I thought, well, that's, that's really nice. But all of a sudden, the Lord reminded me that this person I'm talking to, they had also walked through a divorce 30 years prior and their story wasn't one of heal, healing and restoration. And uh, as they continued to talk, and, and as they continued to talk, uh, the story of their broken marriage, uh, of course, came up. And then, um, and, and also the, the story of the long battle over their kids, you know, custody battle over their kids came up. You know what else came up? Shame and bitterness. And this person started telling the story as if it happened yesterday. The way their tone changed, everything about them changed. And I went, that's it. That's the difference right there. 33 years later, this person is still plagued with bitterness and shame. Mine was gone in a year and a half. I'll tell, and I'll tell you why, or I'll show you how. I just, that's the difference between someone who committed their life or committed themselves to love another person and to forgive another person without condition and someone who instead refused to let go of their anger. Someone, or between someone who commits themselves to doing it Jesus's way rather than trying to steer the ship themselves and tell their own story. Now listen, I'm not saying how great I am. I'm telling you that I listened to a word from the Lord. That's all I did. That's it. And my bitterness and shame was gone in one and a half years, probably, after my divorce, while this person I was talking to on the phone has never been free. Never been free from that ever since it's happened. Uh, it might have been so true, like I said, at one point in your life, nothing could have been truer 33 years ago, but it's just not true anymore. And yet we're still captive. We're still held hostage to that, to that thing. That is the power of shame in one's life. I hear people tell me all the time when they're walking through it. They say, I, I forgive that person because I know it's what I should do, but I will never forget. And I always go, you'll forget. I guarantee you. I'm, I'm, I'm six years on this side of that big thing in my life. And... Um, and I remember some of the hard things that were said six years ago, some of the things that weren't so nice, things that I needed to really look in the mirror at, but I hardly remember them anymore. Uh, I really don't. I really don't. I don't look at that situation with hate and bitterness and frustration and anger. I really look at it with love. 
And that's what, and that's what God can do, and that's what he does. And you, to the point where you forget not, not the things you did and things like that, but like the, the pain of it and the, and the shame of it. And the, I don't feel any of that anymore. I just don't. Um, anyway, that's enough about me. Uh, but God healed, really healed that part of me. And uh, I, Isaiah 54, 4 says, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Uh, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will, not forget, or for you will forget the shame of your youth. Romans 5, 3 uh, says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance uh, produces character, character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love, has poured in, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So right there we have everything that we need already inside of us to deal with shame. Uh, we have, and, and, and part of that involves, I think, a little bit of leaning into our suffering. Uh, we have to be a culture uh, who says that when you go through suffering, I go through suffering and be there for one another and, and be down the road for people, right? When they're walking through stuff, you go, listen, I know it's hard right now. I, I can remember it. Not, not fully. I can't, I can't remember being in it all, but uh, I remember it pretty well and saying, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Just hang on to Jesus. Oh, and then they come in and they come in or, or you meet with them and they're talking and it's, it's all bitterness and frustration. I said, you got your eyes on them. You got to put them back on Jesus. That's what you got to do constantly. And all of a sudden the Lord will begin to change your heart. Uh, we want to be a, we, we just want to be a, a culture that, that is there for people who are walking through shame. So it doesn't hold them back. It doesn't hold us back, but we're all moving forward together and following Jesus. We know that when we say yes to suffering and yes to the things of Jesus, um, that Jesus puts in, in front of us, uh, that we're able to grow into the people he created us to be. All right, I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team up. You can all take a deep breath. <laughs> Uh, this message I just wish was as easy to live as it is to preach um, because it's hard sometimes to know what to do with all that and uh, how do you deal with the greatest shameful things of your life the, and you could throw bitterness in here too if you have anger that has been unresolved for years um, you could throw that in because uh, it acts just like shame and I think um, I think if we're going to get free freedom is both a, a gift and a skill uh, the gift We'll talk about in just a second, but the skill, the actually changing my mind part of this might involve you taking time and crafting a bullet for yourself uh, that you can shoot into shame. Like I said before, build a statement that you say over and over when a memory of a shameful incident rears its ugly head again, and you can start playing whenever you want. Uh, no, no rush. <laughs> And it's not exactly the same, but when I, was, when I was a kid, we lived in this creepy house. Creepy. I was actually afraid of the dark for a very long time. <laughs> and uh, in, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, but when I started reading the Bible, I found that scripture, you know, in 1 John that says, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And I would lay there in the dark and I would say that over and over until I felt empowered. And I was never afraid of the dark again. Never afraid of the dark again. Because that became true for me that the Holy Spirit living inside of me was greater than anything I would ever face. And the same is true for you. Uh, it is helpful to have truth to combat fear, to combat shame, to combat bitterness. 
in the same way it's powerful to equip yourself with the truth with truth when you feel shame I'm going to keep believing that I can live shame free and I'm forgiven and now I get to go free 2021 you get to go free uh, I think I think that may be part of it. Another part of it is um, you may want to see somebody. You may want to see a counselor. You may want to, I think Christian communities have shamed counseling for far too long. Uh, you may just want to talk with somebody who can help you process through some of it. There's some great Christian counselors in town as well. Um, but, but if the whole goal is to leave shame behind, that's the goal. So whatever it takes. Uh, have you ever left your cell phone at home and uh, you just walked out the door and left it? And then all day you had to remember that you left it at home, right? You're like, somebody asked you, well, what do you think the weather is going to be tomorrow? You're like, oh, let me, nope, I don't have it. I forgot, I left it at home. Or, hey, oh, did I ever text that person back? Oh, I left it at home. I think that's what we have to do with shame. Because here's the gift of it. I think we get to leave it, and then we have to remember that we left it. I have so many people say, I just feel, I feel, I feel this, I feel this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you will until you remember that you left it. You have to leave it and then remember that you left it. And that's the gift of it. That's the event of it. Jesus paid for that. And I want to be, I really want to open up the altar this morning, but due to COVID, you can just simply make an altar out of your chair. You can just bow in your heart, however you want to do it. But um, if you just want to meet with Jesus and have a moment where you could say, I felt the carpet beneath my knees or I, I felt the seat against me I, I whatever i remember the moment that i left it at the church on december 27th 2020 and i'm not going to pick it up again whatever that thing is you just want to meet with jesus leave that shameful thing here if you would say that i had some shame you have some shame in your life that there's or bitterness or something you need to leave here that you do not want to go with you which none of us does would you just leave it here this morning? I'm going to ask the worship team to, to play one more song. Um, at the first part, it's kind of slow. Would you do this? And, and those watching online, who cares who's home? If you do it, they'll probably do it too. And so I really want to make this an opportunity where you can just leave whatever it is here and remember that you left it. So the worship team's going to play uh, for the first part, and then I will um, I'll come back and close this up. But let's go ahead and do that now. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hand You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand You stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame my sin weighed upon your shoulders my soul now to stand 
Lord, what can we do but offer it all to you? Lord God, I pray for that person this morning, Lord, who's so bent over by shame in their life, Lord God, or bitterness or any of those things that keep us from moving forward, Lord God, I pray that you would go to them right now and that you would just do what only you can do. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, I thank you that you continue to pursue us, that you continue to, Lord, you're never going to stop. He who begun a good work in us is going to be faithful until you come back, Lord. So sometimes we wonder, like, what do we do in the meantime? Well, you're just going to keep pursuing and you're going to keep loving us. Even if we're at a place where we just can't love ourselves, you're going to love us until we begin to learn how to love ourselves. Lord God, your love is healing. Your love is powerful. We just thank you that we get to be the objects of your affection. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for everything you're doing in our lives, Jesus. And uh, I pray, Lord God, that we would leave here feeling full, feeling free, in Jesus' name. Amen. I never know how to end a sermon like this, but...